Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. I can see my fantasy, I'm so consumed in bed. What I see takes over me, I'm blind beyond repair. Welcome back everybody to a big SummerSlam edition of ESSR Central here on Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retreat podcasting feed. I am your host today, Scott McLeod, and with me, he's here, as always, as Ross McLeod. Hello, Ross. Hang on a minute. Who said you were the host? You clicked record on the call and I walked away for two seconds and all of a sudden you're the host? I have no recollection of that. Anyway, as assistant host here on Central... To the host. (laughs) As assistant host, I am here to welcome you all to ESR Central, reminding you that you can find ESSR and all good Android podcasts and platforms, whether it be Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, wherever you choose to get your podcasts, please give us a like, rating, review on your chosen platform. Find shows like ESSR Central while I am here, and Ross is also always here as assistant host. And we can find shows like Saturday Draft Live, not this week, but starting next week, you'll find the new season of our Fantasy Draft. You can find our feature shows every single Tuesday. We've got a good show coming out soon. It's the Mint Rushmore of Heels, the latest in our Rent Rushmore series. Also, East Meets West. There should be a new episode soon once the G1 concludes. But you can also get involved with us over on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at Suplex Retweet. And you can also get involved in the Suplex Retweet community. Through that, you can join the Listeners League of our draft and get slagged off every single week on Saturday Draft Live. Anyway. Is this just your plan with no Saturday Draft Live this week that you can bully... Jack Ryan and Mr. I went to Croatia, a uh, Hockney, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you just come and hijack my show. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't care for accusations. Anyway, well, a summer slab. You and I watched it live together, and it feels like so much has happened. It feels like a couple of weeks since Summer Slam happened, but it was only just last weekend. A big show, and a show what a lot of, left a lot of WWE fans very optimistic for the Triple H era of WWE, did it not? Yeah, um, surprises galore, great matches, um, and then a Raw after SummerSlam where we didn't just return to the status quo, we we built towards Clash at the Castle. We're recording currently Friday the 5th of uh, August, so Smackdown tonight. I'm really looking forward to it, and the, the best thing I can say about SummerSlam is that it left me it left me wanting more. Not wanting more as in, oh God, I want... No, I kept... I searched the YouTube page looking for the the Triple H TakeOver-esque post-show interview. I was watching the post, post-match post reactions on YouTube. I was watching... You know, I stayed up that night for Raw. You know, it just feels like a time in WWE where so much has happened... So much is happening. We're building towards the first stadium show in the United Kingdom in over 30 years. Triple H at the helm. And it just feels so exciting. You want to be watching it live. Absolutely. Uh, I remember when everything you know happened, it was all whirlwind of like, Vince is gone, Stephanie and Nick Cannon are gone, Triple H has got, he's in this position, he's behind creative and everything. Vince is majority shareholder, but he's not really in charge. And then there was a the whole thing about him selling off some of his shares as well. So... You didn't really know what to make of it. I heard some people were very optimistic about the, the Raw and SmackDown and the go-home week, but I was myself thinking, 
you know what? I'm going to reserve any judgment of it, any real change that might be happening until I've seen SummerSlam because I thought that's where the big impact's going to be. Like SummerSlam and following it because you, I think most of the big results for SummerSlam were already booked, but then it came out that Triple H was looking to make a creative splash and he certainly did to kick off SummerSlam, didn't waste any time because after what was an absolute belter of a match between Bianca Belair and Becky Lynch to open the show, also we knew it would be, they've had great matches at WrestleMania. After which we saw the return of Ding Dong, hello, it's come <laughs> Bailey. She didn't walk through the door with her many, many pockets all by herself because she was joined with two new members of our new stable, Dakota Kai, and formerly the artist formerly known as Io Shirai, now Io Sky, along with her. Kai and Sky! Yeah, this was. Um... I, I had to go back and rewatch the Becky and Bianca match. It was a really good match. Um, but at the time, I'd just come off a shift. I was absolutely shut. Thank God I did have the sleep, though, because it did um, it did set me up nicely for the rest of the show. But, yeah, I, I was struggling to keep my eyes open just because I was so tired. And then the, the Bailey music hits, and it's just a... <gasps> No, because it's it's that excitement when someone someone on top of their game has been away for so long. You you're just waiting for that moment, and then the fact that um, Dakota Kai, I was reading up, uh, I seen her interview on the bump, um, and reading up on her return. She didn't get to Nashville until late in the night before SummerSlam. It was a last minute call. EO Sky. The trademark for that didn't go out until the 31st of July. WWE were very, very last minute with this decision. But it's very, very much reeks of a Triple H decision. Um, and as you mentioned, the go-home run SmackDown, people were, oh, well, oh, will this be the change? I was waiting for SummerSlam to be the change. And Triple H didn't wait long to introduce you to the new Raw Women's Division, did he? He did not know, and it was shown because, like, I had heard all the rumours about Bailey coming back. It made sense that she comes out to confront Bianca because it was just over a year ago that she was in the midst of a feud that was almost wrapping up between her and Bianca for the SmackDown Women's title. She unfortunately got injured pre-Money in the Bank, and now she's back to pick up where they left off now for the Raw title. But, like, I remember hearing another music, which I didn't completely recognise, and then it showed you the time drum for a brief second before she came out and then cut away, and I'm like, that's the Dakota Kai on the team joint. Like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm always certain she's, she got fired. Oh God, there she is. Because <laughs> like, she was a surprise. I just think she was now in this group with Bailey. But yeah, she got let go, which smell, which smacks of like when Smoke Joe got released and Triple said, "Hold on, do I go to NXT and maybe become the champion?" Uh, <laughs> and then Eosha came out, which is also surprising because she'd been off TV for a good while, like she had an injury, and then there were rumours that she was going to go back to Japan to go to stardom. She's married to current New Japan wrestler Evil, which Evil! makes that man. And he got a world title raise in 2020, and the fact he's married to her makes that man the most, the biggest overachiever in professional <laughs> wrestling history. <laughs> but, but then I think it came out that it was kind of a case of she wanted to go in the main roster, it was a case of she didn't get like, the deal to go in the main roster. She was concerned maybe just leaving if she wasn't going to go in the main roster because she'd pretty much done everything she could in NXT. And I think it's a good idea that she goes up. The rumours that this new stable is going to be called Control, 
ever. Obviously, I know it's the everybody's favourite wrestling organisation at the moment. Control your narrative. Uh, EC3 t- return to WWE confirmed. Uh, and then Becky <laughs> stood with Bianca after the match. Uh, now, cementing Becky to face turn, although she uh, does look like she sustained an injury. We don't know how long she'll be away for it, but they kind of wrote her off with Control attacking her on the post SummerSlam Raw. So Becky's right back to being the man again, it looks like. Yeah, um, she came out and cut a very, very baby face promo, a very humble promo. Her and Bianca gave each other props, and then while Bianca was in the ring, they did the whole she's already down and she's been attacked angle just so the, the actual injured person doesn't get more injured. And it looks like we're going to have, uh, going forward, Asuka, Alexa Bliss and Bianca going up against Bailey and Kainsky. Indeed. And <laughs> I, wouldn't, I don't think you need to do like the, the title match between Bailey and Bianca just yet. I wouldn't mind if they actually saved the six-woman tie until Clash at the Castle. Because I think mm-hmm. it's still a lot of power in the one like women's match. You know, you got Bianca, they're right behind Asuka and Bliss, former champions, this new group looking to get build some momentum. But one well, thing, this is also open questions about with this group is are Kai and Sky now basically the new contenders of WWE actually choose to bring back the WWE women's titles because they said, oh, we're going to do a tournament to create new champions because Sasha and Naomi, they let us down. And that was the last we heard of that tournament. And it's also opened up the rumour mill about a, a Sasha and Naomi return under Triple H, which, you know, a feud between Sasha and Naomi against Sky and Sky for the tag team titles could be what those titles sorely need. Yeah, I um, we'll talk about it later when we talk about um, AEW and the trios title. I think we're, uh, we're telegraphing the final of the women's tag team tournament. Um, and... I think that it will be good. It will be good to have them back. You know, uh, we'll also talk later about the NXT women's tag titles. But I'd like to see, um, and Triple H's WWE. I think it would be used a lot better if we unified both sets of tag titles. And it just means if there is no teams or there's no contenders at the moment on Raw and SmackDown, whoever the said champions are can go over to NXT UK or they can go over to NXT 2.0. Although I don't see how long NXT 2.0 is going to be called that, but yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd I'd like to see the 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 women's tag titles unified, and I think you're looking at future champions in either Asuka and Alexa or uh, Kainsky. Yeah, I think similar with with AEW trios thing with these women's tag titles. In both cases, like yeah, maybe you're telegraphing the final, but it's still a great match. I think you're going to get out of it. And this could then segue into a, a long like feud. Maybe saw Sasha or Becky. Maybe Sasha or Naomi want to go after the women's titles. You know, with Bailey t- potentially taking a Raw Women's Belt from Bianca, reopens this the uh, Boss and Bailey feud from a couple of years ago. That on and off again rivalry that they've had. And it's really like the idea. And you know, when is the last time really the main roster has ever really had uh, a dominant like heel? Like female group, you know, the closest we've came to is on the main roster is like Team Bella in like 2015 or something like that. Because uh, I think these group could kind of do a similar thing, holding all the gold with Kainz Guy's tag chance, Bailey as like Robin and Shami Kess, similar to what Toxic Attraction are doing. 
and hell, I wouldn't mind if he like brought Dogs of the Attraction up as a as a group to the main roster and then do like a kind of a female version of gang wars between you know toxic attraction control and maybe throw in like Bianca and a couple other baby faces in there. Yeah, I wouldn't mind at all. If they do like they did with the three trios in twenty fifteen, but you know, do it better this time. I do it good. <laughs> uh, then we moved on to the Miz versus Logan Paul in the battle of which one of these guys do the are the fans gonna hate more? And the Miz came out with his nice green gear matching with Champa and Matt and Maurice. The Miz had a kind of a car night with a picture of when he attacked Logan Paul, similar to when Logan Paul came with the Pokemon card at WrestleMania. And I tell you, he's too, he's now undefeated as Logan Paul getting a win over the Miz. He beat him with his own move, Mile. And <laughs> the dive through the table, yet he had a help from AJ Styles to chase off Champa and Champa. Did what no other wrestler really done when a referee's told me go. He's just said, like, nah, I'm just gonna sit down. What you're a referee, what the fuck are you gonna do? And he just sat down until AJ chased him off. And you know, a lot of people maybe were reluctant to, to give him his props, but Logan Paul is looking really impressive. He confirmed that he's got like a multi year deal now, a multi appearance. I don't think he, he's definitely gonna be like a part time thing, but I think it's gonna be exciting when he does show up. I listened to his, his latest podcast because he had Triple H on it, but in like the the pre-bit when he started his course, he said, I was convinced I was going to break my leg on that table bump. I was so <laughs> nervous when I did like, And he knew the bit where it looked like he cast his leg almost slipped when he got to the, the top rope. Like when yeah. he was doing it. He explained it on his podcast. Like when I went to that corner, I lost my focus for a second because I could see all my friends in the corner. <laughs> it would be nerve-wracking. We forget how, you know, I mean, Brock Lesnar did it at... Um, at WrestleMania one year, he came out and was just like, wow, because it was in, uh, I believe it was MetLife Stadium, and he was meant to be playing this, Brock doesn't care, Brock's only here for the money, and he was just like, oh my God, this looks amazing. <laughs> but um, that story we're going to talk about later on, but we can talk about it just now, uh, Logan Paul is in training for his next boxing match in December, so it looks like probably the next time you'll see Logan Paul is probably the Royal Rumble in the lead up to WrestleMania. Yeah. So he's doing really well at the minute and he talked about his podcast. He's got a lot going on right now. He said on his podcast that it's like athletic drink that he he helps go and is becoming like an official sponsor of Arsenal here in the UK. So <laughs> that plus he's a WWE deal, that man is absolutely rolling in it. No wonder he can oh, afford yeah. to buy no matter if you can, you can afford to buy like six-figure fucking rare Pokemon cards and wear them around his neck. I know it's absolutely wild. Honestly, some of the some of the things he has. And see, in fairness, I I will say this: I'm not Logan Paul's biggest fan. I don't hate him as much as everyone else seems to. But he is a guy who has managed to get himself noticed. Managed to get himself as a celebrity, and now he's living out every dream he's ever had. You can't exactly hate a guy for that. Absolutely. And, you know, yeah, he's had a bit of an attitude in the past, and he rubbed some people the wrong way, but, like, I think how early on in his life he got all the success. Of course you're going to be a dick at that age with all the money and, like, the attention you're getting on the internet. And I think he has, he's shown that he's kind of matured over the years because everybody remembers him for that one thing. But, I want to ask you this for us. Obviously, he's got an athletic background, and that's he's kind of adapted to 
wrestling like better than most, but also is a lot big credit to the people he's been in the ring with. And so far, like he's had the Miz, he had Rey Mysterio, a veteran in this business. So who like yeah, he'll, I imagine he'll get a quick spot in the world and we'll maybe set up a match for him at WrestleMania. Uh, which will be big for whoever gets that shot with him because obviously that'll bring a lot of eyes. Going forward, he's going to be like a multi-appearance thing. Who, what other people do you think that we will trust to you know get in the ring with Logan Paul? Um, I think you're looking at your Dolph Ziggler's, your Sami Zayn's. Um, Sami Zayn's already got history with them. Dolph Ziggler always goes on about millennials, so there's two straight away. Um, I don't know. Um, I really don't know. Those are the only two that jump out at me at the minute, but I imagine there probably might be a misery match somewhere down the road as well. Maybe, if not at WrestleMania, maybe in Saudi Arabia on the lead up to WrestleMania. But who knows at this point? Um, but yeah, I think Ziggler and Sami Zayn are stick ons. Yeah. I definitely was surprised they haven't revisited the stuff with Sami Zayn after you know, Logan Ball was a part of the Sami KO feud going into last year's WrestleMania. I definitely agree with you that they're contenders. Hell, I'd actually like to see him come back for like a tag match, like him and, like, him and AJ versus Champ and Miz, because I think that was the rumour of what was going to happen at SummerSlam, but I think they were interested in seeing what he could do in the singles contest, but I think he could do that and then tie that into... Maybe if Champa wins the US title, we'll get onto that in a second. But say Champa wins the US title and AJ goes after it, have Champa like extreme rules with Miz in his corner and AJ Styles with Logan Paul in his corner. Doesn't have to wrestle, but he can just be there to draw some like draw some eyes to it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, Sami Zayn talked about that on the Steve Austin podcast. He was talking about how when the Logan Paul thing came up, it made sense and character to get him involved because Sammy wants eyes on the conspiracy. Logan Paul has like a billion Twitter followers, you know what I mean? It's it, like it, it worked perfectly well. Yeah. I definitely agree with your one about likes of likes of uh, Dolph Ziggler. I could even see Bobby Roode getting involved in all the Dirty Dogs and all that. Maybe even get Kevin Owens. I mean, Kevin Owens doing something. But I definitely would would be good. Yeah. Kevin Owens would be good, as you're saying, yeah. Also, I heard a lot of people saying, like, people who think there are sections of the crowd are still booing him. If you want to see if he can actually get cheered before you make the choice to actually turn him heel at some point, even though he kind of insisted on being a face, look him with Baron Corbin. If he doesn't get booed against <laughs> Corbin, then that's when Davin needs to sit down to him. Like, I know he's in agreement, but do you want to maybe try at least one match being a heel and see how you like it? Yeah, I he, well, he played the heel when he came in as sort of Sami Zayn's enforcer and then kind of turned face for all the two minutes. The crowd didn't like him, so Kevin Owens threw him up in the air and powerbombed him. Yeah, like, and then he was like the heel leaning into like, the Mysterio match, even though Miz was, was being more heelish than he was, and then that's why they did the angle after the match, so that I think, I think he gets here, but... It just turned Miz into the biggest baby face that Dallas has seen in a long time. <laughs> uh, so I definitely think... The three birds. <laughs> Bigger than Van Eric and the three birds, Maggle. Uh, <laughs> really got to stop doing that voice. But I like to see him as a as a heel. Let's see what it would be like. 
you know, especially Violet some fans, if he actually goes after and wins a title in the WWE, like he'll make him a tag team champion at some point. I don't know, but I definitely think he'll be. Well, it wouldn't surprise me if he was at one of the Saudi shows as part of his appearance deal because you know boxers are doing more and more shows like the Middle East, like Saudi Arabia and Dubai, and big fights are being held in places like that. So I can imagine the Saudis like wanting to get Logan Paul over for one of the shows because. Yeah, that's one of the things that's not going away with now that Vince is gone because WWE have signed a deal and they're in that they've still got a long time on that deal. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, Triple H might be head of creative, but Nick Khan and Stephanie are one of the seat are the are the money people, and it, it's money they can't walk away from. They've got shareholders to deal with. You know, they, if you you know it's a what's a billion dollars. Over ten years, a hundred million dollars a year, and you know they've they've got shows to make up uh, because of the COVID pandemic. Even though Saudi Arabia offered them more than once to have you know full stadiums, but yeah, um, I think you'll see them at the big four. You'll see them at um, some B pay per views if they need a bump and it doesn't you know coincide with anything else he's got going on. Uh, and you'll see him in the Saudi shows. But I don't think we're going to see Logan Paul until the Rumble now. Yeah. It's, you know, it's interesting to see how it works out because, you know, you've got Triple H behind the scenes, you know, lifelong fan of wrestling, but you also got Nick Khan, lifelong fan of money. <laughs> well, I mean, they say money can't buy everything, but it certainly takes the sting out of being poor. <laughs> and... Uh, and I think someone who's stinging a lot right now is Austin Theory because poor, poor guy. He's getting battered by Brock Lesnar. Roman Reigns is making him look like a bitch with one line. He gave him the, the rock to Billy Gunn treatment at MSG. And that's <laughs> uh, injury one. He just clapped him in the back of the heat as they were leaving the ring. Like Dolph Ziggler beat him up for a couple of weeks for something. And Dolph Ziggler is beating you up in 2022 when you were meant to be positioned as a future world champion. You've slipped down a few places. And then he yeah. was soundly defeated here by Bobby Lashley and you know they've already set up Lashley's next challenger as next week on Raw after winning his own triple threat match then beating AJ Styles to win his own triple threat match uh, on Raw and then uh, set up Champa versus Lashley next week on Raw Yeah um, not really much to say about this match the heart lock finish was pretty cool but 4 minutes 45 seconds only 10 seconds longer than the SmackDown Women's title match, which was the semi-main event. Um, yeah. Theory, I think, is getting the usual money in the bank heel treatment. He'll get battled by everyone. He'll get a lucky win. And then all that does is open the door to people going, hey, didn't I kick your ass this time? Hey, didn't I beat you here? And it just sets up a line of challengers and Theory then will by hook or by crook retain those title retain that title, get those wins and probably end up at WrestleMania with John Cena. Bobby Lashley on the other hand, Bobby Lashley versus Champa is a big money match. I am absolutely buzzing that Champa won and I'm hoping there's either some shenanigans which leads us to a rematch at Clash at the Castle or um Bobby gets his rematch for the title when Champa wins next week. I would love to see Champa win the US title. It certainly Champa winning the US tra- championship certainly would put Triple H's stamp 
on the main roster with one of his guys immediately winning a title. Oh yeah, 100%. Because, you know, Blasi's not had a bad reign as US champion, but I think a lot of people were concerned like what is actually Champa doing? He kept showing up and attacking people. Then he got a bit more when he when he was officially aligned with the Miz and then giving him the US title would be like, a major stamp that, you know, Triple H's guys now that he's in charge will, you know, be in for a better run on the main roster. And you know, he's been cutting, you know, Champa still promoted to cut one on WWE's YouTube, you know, about the title match when nobody makes the title more valuable when he's holding it than me. No promise anything to do for the USA what he did for the NXT title. I haven't uh, watched the other matches, but I did see the gif of the finish to, oh, to the both matches were great. Yeah, like Ali is like the four way flips, rolls out, gets caught into the sales clash onto Miz, like fucking liquid wrestling. Sensational. <laughs> but what is the response go? I don't fucking <laughs> So yeah, God knows what's happening. We we see the right now. I don't think he's cashing that that briefcase in any time soon, because we we know that Roman versus Drew has been confirmed for Clash at the Castle, and you know I don't think he's cashing that until like after Mania, because he still has a few months after Mania to cash it in. I think he's gonna like break like, the Edge or Ziggler records for like a person holding the men's case. Yeah, I could see that happening. Um... Before before the regime change, I could certainly see him in the main event against John Cena, as I mentioned before, but uh, that might not happen now. We could say he was a Vince guy, but Triple H sort of earmarked him on that first Evolve show on the network, so I don't know, but hey, we'll see going forward, but this was pretty much a, a four-minute blow-off to the feud, and Theory not exactly looking strong in defeat. Yeah, it was weird. Like they got, they gave Theory enough for it not to be considered a squash match, but it was pretty much a case of like, let's let's just wrap this up because I don't know all the people that made Theory look like shit and he interacted with, and he had, the person he had a little sort of interaction with was the guy he was actually fighting at the at the premium live event. You know, that's a very going soon. That's more than that in a later story. But after that, we had the Judgment Day taking on Rey Mysterio and and Eddie Guerrero's kids. Dominic, like he's looking more and more like nineties Eddie Guerrero with every passing day. He's got the mustache, he's got the bloody mullet. The, he's the not got the charisma, I can tell you that. <laughs> he, he, both of them came out in their best, I don't know, reverse flash, bloody yellow and red, while the judgment day came out, uh, looking all brooding and wrestled the most standard no DQ tag match you've ever seen with you know, people tagging in out, still doing stuff behind the rest back, even though, again, it's no DQ. But it, yeah, thank God we are up there because it looked like Finn and Damien at points were getting battered by the Mysterios and needed her to save them. Because, like, the most talked about thing in this whole Mysterios Judgment Day feud has been that one time uh, Rhea choked Dominic with her legs. <laughs> Okay, boy. But yeah, I think the whole no DQ thing was set up for the finish, and the finish was great. Um, Edge returning, looking like PC Principal, wearing Star Lord's jacket, um, sprints down, spears. Uh, the mountain of omnipotence was replaced by the stairlift and staircase of slightly peeved, um, and. Uh, 
he interferes, spears both Judgment Day, uh, the Mysterios get the win. We saw af- uh, on the Raw after this feud sort of flesh out a bit more, um, Edge uh, claiming he was going to kill what he created. And then later on in the night, uh, after the Mysterios had lost to the tag team champions, more on that later on, um, Edge comes down, tries to spear, um, I think it was Priest to try to spear, only for Rhea to shove uh, Dominic in the way. And he spears him, doesn't look after him, goes to leave. Rey Mysterio looks kind of annoyed. So I don't know if... Mysterios will be helping Edge against the Judgment Day, or if Mysterio will be out for revenge, or Dominic will be out for revenge. Hey, I don't know, maybe Dominic turning on Edge could lead to him joining the Judgment Day. Yeah, because I think everybody thought that's where this was was going, like Dominic joining the group. Although, like, the losses that they've taken recently, like, and how easily they were kind of, for the most part, beating the enemy before Edge got involved. Just goes to like how much better really would Dominic be if he did join the Judgment Day at this point? But you know maybe no, they can turn this around by doing another six-man tag at Classic Castle, no, or like some sort of time match involved, like maybe Priest and Finn fight Ray and Edge, you know, call back to you know 2002 being this, you know, the 20-year anniversary of the SmackDown Six, Edge and Ray were were tag team champions back in the day, and then Dominic cost them the match. Uh, I think you can even spin it off into an Edge Ray feud that, you know, Edge doesn't care about Ray's whole family trauma because he's trying to get to Finn, especially because I think the big blow to you know, Edge's feud with the Judgment Day is going to be an Edge Finn match. Uh, but, like, maybe like maybe Edge says to Ray, I don't care about your thing, I just care about them. And Ray's like, I haven't forgotten that he speared my kid and everything. Like, and that leads to an Edge Ray match at one point. Yeah, I wouldn't be against Edge versus Ray Mysterio. Uh, always entertaining. Uh, I believe twice in two years they were last two in the elimination chamber. So always, always fun uh, to see them go against. But I'd like to see the Judgment Day get some more wins. Yeah. Um, and I wouldn't be against the Judgment Day after a few more wins being the ones to dethrone Usos. But let's move on to. Bombas Corbin. Before, before we get to Bombas Corbin, uh, I just want to say I think the Judgment Day will hopefully benefit from a change in like creative direction because I think when they turned on Edge the same night Rhea won the right to fight Bianca, I think she was probably going to win the, that title. They were going to Judgment Day were going to probably like go on a don't run as a tag team, but then. Rhea had to go away because she was injured. I, don't think, I still don't think she's medically cleared quite yet, but I think them and Edge maybe moving over to SmackDown and continue this feud would be good for them because when Rhea's cleared, she can go after Liv and maybe they can be booked properly now as a as a more dominant team. Because maybe Edge doesn't get revenge, maybe Edge puts over Finn in that because I think Finn especially needs like a, a dominant singles one, which he hasn't had in a long time. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And plus... Ripley still has that title match as mentioned. It would make more sense to go after Liv Morgan. Um, but anyway, Scott, I said it. Bombers Corbin. Yes, wasn't quite Seven Nation Army, but again, I guess 
he only want to fork out the money the one time. Obama's Corbyn. Obama's Corbyn. It felt like, Jesus, they cut, how long is that around? They cut his music off when he's not even at the ring yet, and then you hear them singing the Obama's Corbyn, and just the, the zoom in up there, just all these choir people. And I love Baron Corbyn. He just looked in the guy. Why, how, why is a choir singing this? <laughs> and then <laughs> they transition into uh, uh, Pat McAfee's new song, uh, which was really good. And I really enjoyed it much, mostly for Michael Cole. Michael Cole just being all pro-Pat, while Corey Gage was pro-Bamas Corbin, was just excellent. And I didn't pick up the thing that everybody's been talking about since. Apparently, at one point in this match, Corey turned to Cole and said, I liked you better when you weren't allowed to have an opinion. Uh, Michael, just, <laughs> Michael Cole just responded yeah well that's changed um, <laughs> Michael, there was also a line Cody used as well which Cody was getting shit for uh, bumming up Happy Corbin Cody just goes hang on a minute how come you're allowed to cheer for your friend but I can't cheer for mine and he goes ah, Pat McAvey let Corbin uh, sleep on his couch he went yeah, and Corbin let me sleep on his. <laughs> like, you're like, okay, fair enough. That is very layered storytelling. We're going to get a Cody Graves, Pat McAvoy match. Maybe. I mean, there was all that talk that he was taking off the, like, the no you know, physical contact list or whatever it was. So, still waiting to hear if anything actually comes of that. But, you know, this was, I don't have much to say about the moves of this match, but, you know, Corbin's a great heel follow for somebody like Pat McAvoy. It's amazing how not only people have come around to him, but he's helped people, you know, soften on Michael Cole because of how well they two work together. You know, Michael Cole getting yeah, so into it and just yelling at Corbin for attacking him when he was around the announce table. At one point, he even put his headset on. <laughs> I think Cole's always been good. Cole, like, people don't want to give Cole credit. The reason the commentary in NXT was so good was because Michael Cole was the producer. The reason, pardon me, the reason a lot of people get a chance is because Michael Cole fought for them. Uh, it was uh, Renee Young said it at the Evolution pay-per-view. Where, uh, he said, I'm, I'm very proud to be joined. He said he was very proud to be joined by Beth and Renee, and they both put it back on him, saying we wouldn't, we, we, sorry, what was it? We couldn't be here with anyone else, uh, considering all you've done to help us. And it was just a nice, you know, a nice wee moment to recognise what Michael Cole does for the company. It's it, Michael Cole's biggest crime was the crime that Rey Mysterio had in 2014 when he came out at number 30. Rey Mysterio wasn't Daniel Bryan when the fans wanted Daniel Bryan, and Michael Cole wasn't Jim Ross when WWE fans wanted Jim Ross. That was all it was. And him and Taz for years under Paul Heyman when when Vince really didn't do anything with SmackDown were great. He gets a lot of unnecessary hate. It's not his fault that fucking Vince McMahon hates JR and wants some off of TV. You know what I mean? Like... I think his heel run didn't endure into many people because, like, yeah, you need heel commentators, but the fact that he was still the main commentator, so you have this him playing this obnoxious heel character. Then he's all saying, but also coming up next, John Cena is 
Tommy Hartner. And like he's, I think his biggest crime is the fact that he just does what, what they want him to because he's been saying, like, that's all I've ever done. Like, yeah, there was a clip of him going around when he was on Pat a few months ago saying, like, like all I, like, I just basically do what I'm told. And it's kind of sad that, you know, Vince is not shouting in his ear anymore and like, he's able to be more free on commentary. But Michael Cole, I think it came out a while back that he's partially deaf in one ear, probably from all those years of like, God damn it, Cole, I told you to plug the network. <laughs> I've already done it um, 20 times. Done it again. Yeah, it's amazing the commentators you can build when you've got someone like Michael Cole in your ear and not Vince McMahon, who um, there's a story, uh, Todd Grisham, he went, I, don't, I wasn't doing anything wrong. He didn't give me any notes. He didn't give me anything to work on. He hadn't spoken the entire show. And then he just comes through the headset and says to Todd Grisham, are you trying, are you deliberately trying to be just awful? And then he went, I was mid-sentence. And um, he went, I just hear over the commentary, you know what, just shut up and let JR do it. Look, oh my God. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully... Hopefully this change of leadership will will bring out the best of Michael Cole and in other uh, budding commentators. But yeah, uh, the match itself, like I said, I've got nothing much to talk about. It was everything around the match. It was the it was the theatrics, it was the new music, it was the bum-ass Corbin, it was the two very biased commentators who were stapling their colours to the mats. And hey, a Panama Sunrise... A wee, yeah. wee nod to his um, feud with Adam Cole. Uh, nice to nice to see that come full circle. So yeah, Pat McAvee, decent match, but it was what it was. Yeah, also wearing his jorts, dork. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there's a couple of other examples I've heard of over the years, like Vince being an arsehole through people like heads. It's like, but even though he was awful, like Pat and uh, Mike Adamley, I think, once on ECW, Vince, hey, he's going to do so bad. He just told him, like, towards the end, she like, 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 just get up, just come to the back, don't even say that, just get up and walk away. And then the show closed with him doing that, and then shortly after, Taz just takes his headset off and fucks off as well as the show went off air. And also, people forget that Mick Foley had a brief commentary on, like, 2008 on SmackDown. And when asked why he stopped doing it, he basically said, like, you know, Vince would come to the headset, and, like, I just got to a point, like, I refuse to be spoken to like that. No, absolutely, and that's the thing, like, yeah, Michael Cole did it for so, but so did Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler, and, you know, Jim Ross would still be there if he had the option, um, but yeah, like, he is an arsehole, and it's just, it, it's good that we're in this new era, um, and let's move on to the tag title match. Yeah, this was again a, a straw match, some good like near falls because again when these two get involved, like even though the have been holding the titles for over a year, I still feel like Demi wants to do everything they can to make the, the bloodline look dominant with all the gold, but there's been all the rumours about will this be the end of the Street Brothers, will they will they split up or will they actually finally get this win over the Usos? Well, it wasn't as long as their some their money in the bank match and to me maybe it wasn't as good the money in the bank match was just slightly better. Jeff Jadett was there because Nashville. Nashville and, baby. and we needed a guitar. Didn't even have a guitar, nobody. I I was so confident he was gonna hit Sammy Zayn with a guitar. I put the question, will he hit someone with a guitar and <laughs> the bonus which got fuck all for anybody. 
for the most part. The, I, I was, it was years ago, they were talking about um, special guest refs and wrestling, and I believe it was an Inside the Rope show, I think it was Kenny McIntosh that said about um, the problem with special guest referees is they are meant to be there because the referees can't do their job, but the special referee has to do something, otherwise it's boring and it's a waste of a, a returning superstar or a legend or you know a, a special guest attraction. And he, he likened it to Stone Cold. You know, he used to come back and do special guest refs, and there was one where it was Undertaker and Batista, and he just he just ref the match. That was it. Yeah, I know because every so often, like they do, not they one of them would get annoyed at, at Jack because they didn't think he carried fast enough, or they were annoyed about how he had to force them at the corner. Like the one most notable was like Ford. You know, he got a splash. Everybody thought it was that he just looks. Angrily at, at Jared, he's like, Count fucking faster. He, he was saying to him, they didn't say fucking, but you know, he basically said to him, you know, Count faster. And, and then Jared just at the end, you no, know, didn't have any allegiances, you know, even though he said on Raw, like, you know, guys, like, yeah, like, you don't get physical with me, you know, because I might remember it come Sunday. And then he didn't do anything, you know, I'm pretty sure he did get physical with them during the build. And then, yeah, just came to the video. So it was one because he isolated, uh, I think it was Dawkins they isolated. And they got the win with the double after the double super kick in the one D, and then they teased like a, a post match angle that never actually came of Forge is looking there looking absolutely furious, and I thought an angle was going to come like either he was going to kick Dawkins in the balls or uh, or Dawkins was going to do to him what Powerhouse Hobbs did to Ricky Starks the other week on Dynamite. He was just going to just batter him from behind. Like I thought somebody's going to turn here and then just fade it to black. Like all right, then nobody's doing anything. Yeah, it was a weird one because it was a great match, but we've seen great matches with these guys before. Um, we were expecting Sami Zayn shenanigans. He he wasn't at SummerSlam by the looks of it. Um, we were expecting Jeff Jarrett hit someone with guitar. Ironically, I had the Street Profits to win. And literally, as soon as I locked in my picks, the image in my head of one of the Street Profits holding an Uso while Jeff Jarrett goes to hit him, the Uso Ducks and the Street Profits get hit in the head with the guitar. That was going through my head. Um, so, yeah, nobody gets hit with a guitar. Nobody splits up. No big title change. And, yeah, a, a bit of a weird one. Um, a, a really good, another really good match. Like it's just, it's just one of those ones, because it was SummerSlam, we were like, it, 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 is that it? Like, yeah, it's like see, like the last pay per view saw three problems get screwed, and so like, it was a special guest review. So hopefully nobody should get screwed here. Nobody did in the end, but you know, the pace is still lost. I thought this was going to be like a, a new day it was a situation where like they trade the belts back and forth like, in the latter part of the year. Like three problems win here, maybe Usos can win it back and can win it back at the. They went back in Clash of the Castle, they can trade it back, maybe have a blow off at Saudi Arabia or Extreme Rules in some sort of big like ladder or table match, something like that. But it was weird because you no know, thing with having the tag titles unified with the exception of like the Judgment Day Mercedes feel like they really do like proper feuds, at least interesting ones, because you know the New Day Vikings thing on SmackDown I think has been utter pish to be honest. So like they, they haven't been making the strongest feuds in tag in the tag division that don't revolve around the titles. So, like, when you've got a team when there's only one set of tag titles that have had multiple shots and then lose, you're basically left like, well, what the fuck do they do now? 
And, you know, there's part of me that's thinking that they didn't split them up here because they're setting them up to be split up in the draft. Uh, maybe, but I, if the Street Profits ever do split up, at, which I I hope they don't, not anytime soon anyway, Angelo Dawkins needs to win the feud because Montez Ford's going to be fine. Montez Ford will be a future WWE champion, but Dawkins, you need you need the guy that's not going to go on to be a star to stay where he is. You need that guy to win the feud and you need the guy who's going to be the star to go away and be the star. Yeah. Like, if you have enough faith in the one that you want to be a star, then him losing that feud, you should be able to have something for him that you can quickly come back from that and get to where you want him to go. Whereas that other guy can carry that momentum and then, yeah, you'll probably want to lose to a few other people you have more interest in, but at least now that he'll have won that feud against the guy who's going to go on to do something bigger, like them beating Dawkins, those other people that you want to push beating Dawkins will make the win look, you know, all the more impressive. Otherwise, like, if he loses multiple times to four and then loses to, say, they want to push CD again or they want to finally push Ali and they get wins on Raw over Dawkins, it's not really going to mean anything because like, Dawkins now just loses to everybody. Kind of like the Dolph Ziggler fit. If he loses and puts everybody over, it's not impressive when your first feud is Ziggler and you win. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but yeah, the, the match itself was great, I thought. Um, the Usos, um, I, I don't think they're going to have a match clash at the castle. I think they'll be firmly in Roman's cor- corner to make sure um, that make sure there's no cash-in and to make sure Drew doesn't leave with the titles. But yeah, I don't, I don't know where they go after this. Um, I really don't. I think they are just going to be backroom players in the Drew versus Ro- uh, Roman feud. Drew, by the way, one of two people to show up on this show, Scott. Um, Drew showing up to set off fireworks with his sword, and Kane showing up to set off pyro with his mind. Yeah, they thought we need somebody to lie about any people are here. Get a politician, they lie all the time. <laughs> Especially one that denies masks. Considering he used to wear one. Yeah, I saw one or two. The best tweet I saw, I think, was from Kane Mantosh about when Kane came out. Basically, said Kane can fuck off at this point. <laughs> and then you also had yeah, yeah, Drew coming out looking, sounding a bit more natural, not going, "Oh, here, let me tell you about my magical sword and the history of it." And no, me and Seamus used to be pals all the time, and now he's not got any balls. But he seems <laughs> casually, like, and he made fun of the fact that, "Oh, yeah, the first time we've ever seen Brock Lesnar and Roman Reigns at a SummerSlam in Nashville." And the last one in front of, what's your name, random child? But then we also had Riddle being an idiot and like, my neck's not entirely strong yet, but I still want to fight Seth Rollins, who's entirely healthy. Oh, look, surprise, I got my ass handed to me. This was the classic example of WWE not promising you anything. All of us building up in our mind and then getting raging at the people who didn't promise us anything that we overestimated it. Uh, rumours completely started by WWE uh, by WWE fans and not WWE at all where that Seth Rollins um, was going to face Johnny Gargano um, Johnny Gargano didn't show up and then I was very disappointed and then I just remembered at no point was there any talk of Johnny Gargano <laughs> I, think, I think we just misinterpreted what the hell took place to tweet me anyway 
Seth was trying to, I thought he was just acting up on Twitter, like, oh, sorry that you'll be disappointed not to see me, even though he's the one who took out the guy he was meant to fight at SummerSlam, and then Triple H responding to his tweet, made us think that this was going to be Triple H's big, like, creative splash, like, bringing someone in to fight Seth, which then happened. Apparently the plan all along was never to have this match at bloody SummerSlam. I think they're just they're waiting for Clash of the Castle to have Riddle versus Seth. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the Seth brawl I liked. The Drew promo was fine. It was very, you know, we've heard that WWE are being lax with match scripts and promos now, which, thank God. Um, I like Seamus Drew. I haven't watched the match, but the match, I've seen a couple of highlights from it. But the match, the big Donnybrook match to determine who would go in and clash at the castle, basically it was a case of they called it in the ring. Yeah, I, I liked the Seth thing. Seth in a sensational peach suit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I'm a wee bit gutted. They've, they've done this before. They did this with Seth and uh, Seth and Ambrose, where they just on the night decided, yeah, this isn't happening tonight. We'll do it at SummerSlam. They've just said, oh, we're not doing it at SummerSlam, we'll do it at Clash. I do love the fact that uh, the man who he stomped into steel steps on the Raw before, then he barred him again. People were still singing his theme song as he left, to the point Seth's moving his hands and going, sing it to me in Nashville, as people are still singing his theme song. <laughs> so it's hard to think, like, he's a heel, but, you know, just got to catch a theme song, Seth Rollins, but I look forward <laughs> to get that match at Clash at the Castle. But then, then we went to our semi like main event, and it's weird. The Love Morgan Wonder Rosa match ended in a weird kind of fashion. I think it was to facilitate Ronda attacking the referee after the match, which was meant her heel turn. Which thanks, talking uh, people moving in the draft. I hope Ronda goes to Raw and leaves Love alone and just do whatever you want and Raw just fuck off. And because I'm, I'm kind of done with her, I've been done with her for a while, but. The whole thing of uh, them going into this finish, you know, her working over, you know, uh, her working over Liv's arm and the whole like tap out pin finish, it never looks as WWE probably think it will. You know, the well, I can still remember doing as far back as two thousand and four between Edge and Chris Benoit, but they they never in, sorry, they did it in two thousand and two. It was how Undertaker ended, uh, sorry, Kurt Angle ended up in the triple threat match, uh, Vengeance because. A Undertaker got him in a I think it was Angle Undertaker in a triangle choke Undertaker pinned his shoulders to the mat but Undertaker tapped at the same time but yeah if there's one thing that in Triple H's WWE we do away with it's screwy finishes like this like I, I hate this and Ronda Rousey was wronged by a referee. Ronga, Ronda, Ronga, Ronda, Ronda, there we are. Wrong, she was wronged. Big wrong Ronda. Um, she was wronged by a referee. Jesus Christ, try saying that five times fast. Well, you said, and, it, you said it 20 times already. <laughs> um, but yeah, she was the one that was wronged. She rightfully so kicked off. And then she's the one that's now heel. And Liv Morgan, Liv Morgan is the ultimate babyface, and she's now going to have to live with this um, sort of caveat hanging over the top of her, where 
you know, any heel has a rightful claim to her title because she did tap out. She shouldn't be the champion. Ronda, when, I, when you're in a submission, you're lying on the mat. The referee's always going to check your shoulder because that's what they used to do with the figure four. If you lie down on the mat, the referee will start counting. And so that's what like, why Liv would try to like, move up to alleviate the pressure and then try and pin Ronda down. But, you know, if the referee had looked up, he would have seen her tapping. Like, I think, I don't know if this was timed wrong or whatever, but Liv basically won because the ref wasn't looking where he maybe should have been, which isn't the best look for a baby because if the referee had had, a, what had been like I'd seen at the corner of his eye and seen you tapping out, you'd have lost the belt. And I also heard that all oh, this match was cut for time. And the reason he said is the reason being reported is oh, it's because Logan Paul and Miz went too long. Like that's the match that went too long. They were far. They were like there were like four matches between them. Why is that the one that caused them to go over? Like surely that would affect the Mysterio's match. We didn't feel too long. Like the bloody theory match was like. Felt like four or five minutes, even like that one. No, like, like, Ten seconds longer than this. Aye, so like surely that match is the one that gets cut. Like, why would the second match in the card affect the runtime of the same? I mean, surely if anything's going to affect the runtime of this match, it's including segments like the ones we just talked about, like Drew randomly coming out for a promo or bringing out Riddle and Rollins for a brawl. Surely that's going to eat into their time more than Mez versus Logan Paul. Yeah, a weird one. Um, plus, they did video packages galore. Like, just cut a couple of those video packages. Um, and that's apparently like there's like a commercial version of the a peacock, and so like I think so they get like I think they get regular commercials. The people who got that version, but they need to fill the time for the people who got the other version. So they just put some WWE ones in in case they've just managed to stumble upon WWE on the network, like. Oh, you like this? You might like these people who you haven't booked tonight. <laughs> um, this is the only match in the card I had nothing good to say about. Um, yeah. Ronda Rousey, obviously, when she battles the ref and battles Liv and battles, you know, every backstage agent, clearly not giving a damn about her reputation. Um, <laughs> this is well because her reputation is you're a boring bastard. <laughs> Yeah, this Ronda Rousey run has not been great, has it? Uh, more time on the mic. Clearly not improved on the mic. Uh, the first time she was at the peak, I think, at the peak of her celebrity, she had just left UFC. Uh, she was starting to appear in more movies. Um, and, yeah, she was, she was at the absolute peak and she was just a fan who seemed to be enjoying herself, which was kind of infectious. And then there was that pre-WrestleMania thing where, oh, these women are just playing. I could legitimately kill them if I wanted to. And there's no tough women in WWE. And it's just like, why should I root for you now? And then the never-ending feud with Charlotte. Don't get me wrong, the two matches at WrestleMania and um, uh, Backlash were good. But when Charlotte Flair doing a great job as a heel is being extremely unlikable and Ronda was the alternative, it just really didn't work. And this match doesn't work because... Do you remember when Nikki uh, ASH cashed in and then just immediately lost it? Uh, this, this very much felt like, right, you've had your moment, we can get the fans off our back, you're going to... Really, you know, you're going to lose, and then at last minute, they just went, all right, oh, Ronda's not going to be here. Right, we'll do the suspension storyline. 
but they've made Liv look incredibly weak when she had all the momentum and all the fan support in the world. Um, I just hope that's not not went to waste. Yeah, I mean, for me, uh, like it definitely was the low light. I think, unfortunately, I'm a big love fan. It was the low light into what was overall a great show. I thought, you know, this and like the first night of WrestleMania for me are the two best shows WWE's done so far in 2022. And I'm optimistic for the big shows they've got coming up now under like new regimes we keep talking about. But for me, with Ronda's run, the the moment I still can't get over is the fact that she had the goal to say to uh, Natalia, you're so lacking in charisma. Like coming from her, it's like Ronald McDonald calling you a fat bastard. <laughs> a, a very apt um, analogy. Um, but He's not wrong about Natalia, but Ronda shouldn't be the, per- the person saying that. Yeah, she's not exactly Captain Charisma, is she? Um, yeah, not a great match. I think we've spent longer talking about it than it warrants, to be honest with you. Yeah, let's talk about important things, like Brock Lesnar riding a motherfucking tractor. <laughs> I was reading um, I was reading online, um, because we've got to go straight to the, tra- the tractor spot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's broke the ring, He's now lifted the ring with a fucking tractor. And <laughs> yeah, apparently WWE, they usually tell the commentators quite a bit of what's going to happen. They did not tell the commentators, Corey and Michael, that Brock was going to throw the table back and then tip the fucking ring. I mean... That actually said that sometimes he doesn't even act like he doesn't even want to be told about certain things because you know his reaction seems genuine. So I'm kind of all for them not telling the commentators everything about what's going to happen because they'll make their reactions you know all the more genuine and it'll make keep them on their toes. But something I didn't think about until afterwards, I mean, it's a cool visual, especially if you're watching it on TV or if you're in the arena, like on the side of the commentary desk or up in the rafters. But it didn't hit me until afterwards. I thought, imagine you're on the side of the you're on the hard cam side of the ring, like the one that, we, that everybody sees on TV. So there's going to be a big section of that crowd on the floor that are going to be like, pay all this money for the seats. Now I need to look at the fucking screen because there's a massive, the ring is somehow tipped over and I cannot see a fucking thing. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, it was a cool visual, as you said, on TV, much like Hell in a Cell, but Hell in a Cell gets maligned a lot because people can't see. Mm-hmm. Even a point in the night where the lights around like the spell for SummerSlam were so bright they were sitting in the ground and turned the lights down, which is having a mobile outdoor WrestleMania, so you think WWE would have learned with their outdoor shows, don't turn the lights up so bright? Yeah, I think um, I think production issues will certainly improve under Triple H, but um, I, I just sound like such a Triple H mark on this show. All hail the game! All hail the game! And I, now for all, welcome our new sledgehammer wielding overlord. <laughs> but yeah, um, the everything about this match, people can complain about how many times Brock Lesnar's faced uh, Roman Reigns, completely forgetting that every match happening in AEW happened in Ring of Honor or Impact in 2018. But anyway, we'll move on. That's none of my business. Um from right at the start, Brock doing his entrance on top of a tractor, uh, throwing the mic at Roman only for Roman to catch the mic and wink at him. 
Roman and Brock having a great back and forward. The Usos getting involved. Theory battering the shit out of everyone with a case, only to then get his shit kicked out of him. Brock Lesnar giving Brock the titles, only for Brock to give him an F5. And then just just all of it, just having trying to keep the beast down for the 10 count eventually. Mm-hmm. I, I love this match. I thought this match was great. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, I don't know if I have a favourite in terms of the Roman Reigns brought matches, but you know, also the last man standing thing, you know, they're not for everybody. They had some really good spots near the Usos where we get involved. You had the DJ Theory coming out before he got battered, before he could officially cash in. And then it's a case of, you know, like the Austin Powers treatment brought got like, why won't you die? Like, belt shot, hitting with bits of table, title, hitting with the title belt, he keeps getting back up and you got Cole busy begging for like stay down or referee Kemp fans so please let's, let's get us over. He can't take much more. But maybe the spot that will I will remember more maybe more than the, the ring getting lifted is Paul Heyman taking an F five on the end table. And the table didn't break as well despite the size of that man. <laughs> the man is a constant professional and it, it's a testament to the man that despite being involved in the wrestling industry for Many, many, many years, despite being involved in physical segments and including matches for many, many years, he still refuses to learn how to bump. So he just falls like a sofa falling out of a tree. I think if anyone's going to, if he's going to take a bump, even especially on an end table, which is something for somebody who's not a trained wrestler, I'm sure he would, he would love nobody more to deliver that spot than Brock Lesnar because of how close they are. Like he's one of the few like people that you know Brock actually I think likes in the wrestling. So Brock's obviously gonna try and take care of him, and it's probably why the table didn't break because he didn't do it for what he's like. Oh, and there you go, just place you down <laughs> on the table. You have a rest. Very, very lightly placed onto the table. <laughs> yeah, he was. And I love the fact that the Usos had to had to help carry him out as well. Like they had him ready to like dragging away like that pal is he just overdone it on the night out. Usually me. Um, yes. I love you. Love you. We know Paul. We know. We know. <laughs> you can just say me next time. You don't need to be so passive. Um, but yeah, I, the match itself, absolutely great. And we move full steam ahead on a clash at the castle. Drew versus Roman. And I think we've we've known for a while since this match was uh, sorry this um, show was announced. This I think this is it for Roman's title run. He's gonna have a, I bet I imagine like he's gonna they're building the hometown guy, even though like he's the only he's not from Wales, but it's like it's close enough. Like from Wales by way of Scotland, but now living in Tennessee, Drew McIntyre, and you know You're I think. I mean, I I've been to Wales. <laughs> there, are people, there are people who have lived in Wales the whole life who probably can't speak Welsh. <laughs> I know. Well, do you, um, I think I was going to ask. Do you think they'll put any of like Flash Morgan Webster or um, uh, Andy Andrews onto onto the show? But then I thought, well, for years they did shows in Britain. And Bulldog was the hometown hero everywhere he went. So I don't, <laughs> I don't think those boys are getting a hometown welcome. Yeah, and I could see if W were feeling like causing a riot, 
for the people of Cardiff, they would have they would do what they did to poor Bulldog at one night only. I think they would have Drew Lewis here, even though technically it's not his hometown, but I think that crowd is going to be around. There's going to be a fair few Scottish people going to that show to see Drew hopefully win. And so I think W would be like, no, let's, let's get some proper heat for Roman right now and have him beat the UK guy in the UK, the first UK show in like proper UK pay-per-view, not a rebellion or insurrection in like 30 years. Yeah, I think so too. I think um, I think Roman might get away with the title, but I mean, I mean, what would be the point? I mean, what would be the point? Hopefully, this obsession with the hometown heel, if sorry, the hometown hero losing ends now that Vince is gone. Hopefully. Hopefully it's a, a trope that's used very rarely. You know what I mean? Like they don't always have to win, but they don't always have to lose either. And I think it Drew's time to get back on top. Um And if Drew yeah. Drew the, the Scottish hero can't get a win for a world title that night, then hopefully Scotland will be able to bounce back if Grado wins the ICW title that same night. Because yeah, everybody will be filing out the principality and we go to that show. <laughs> oh, People in Glasgow didn't go to ICW when it was here at the weekend. What chance have you got in Cardiff? Anyway, moving on from... Because you got those two shows on the third, and then the next night, there's an NXT show back in the US and All Out. So if you're into covering wrestling, you've got a big weekend ahead of you uh, come September. But this weekend, this past weekend, was also a big weekend because we had the highs of watching Brock Lesnar and Rowan finally, hopefully, settle their rivalry and having Triple H usher in a new year for the women's division, potentially. And then we had the lows of watching an old man who definitely shouldn't be in the ring have his last match. When Ric Flair had his last match as part of StarCast, the whole show was branded under Jim Crockett Promotions. You had Tony Schiavone and Dave Crockett, uh, Colin Conte, with a mix of different guest commentators coming with each match. You had likes of Tom Hannafin and Scott Demore. From Impact Wrestling, you had Ian Riccoboni from Ring of Honor. You had Nick Aldis coming to guest commentate a match. Now, I haven't seen all of the show because I tried to watch it. The link I was using to watch it kept buffering and then closing on me before I, I could get to the main event. I think even the site I was watching it on didn't want me to watch that tag match at the main event. But we'll go through the results of Ric Flair's last match because the undercard just looked like a regular, you know, Big Four, WrestleCon kind of weekend show with some big name talent. On the pre-show, we had two matches. We had Young Lion, the early Dojo, Brown Narita defeating Phil, Young Lion, Yuya Yuamura. And a quick match, we had Mance Warner of GCW winning the Bunkhouse Battle Royal. And if anyone had ever seen Mance Warner, he also the kind of guy who would have wrestled in Jim Crockett and wrestled in a Bunkhouse-style match. The opening match of the main show saw the motorcycle machine guns beating the Wolves and what was being called an Impact Dream Match. Killer Cross with Scarlett Bordeaux by his side defeated David Weissmith Jr. And a four-way match to determine a number one contender for the Progress World title. Former champion Jonathan Gresham won the, won the right to challenge new champion, uh, I believe Chris Ridgway is now the champion, by defeating Nick Wayne, Knoski Takesta and Alan Five Angels. Uh, Brian Pillman Jr. and Brock Anderson with Arn Anderson in their corner defeated Ricky Morton and his son Kerry Morton with Robert Gibson in their corner. Uh, Phoenix won a four-way match over Bandito, Laredo Kid and Black Taurus. 
Impact World Champion Josh Alexander retained his title. No, he retained his title because the match went to a no contest when he challenged Jacob Fatu because Matt Cordo and Brian Myers got involved. A spot which ended in Matt Cordo being hit with a diamond cutter from a surprise appearing DDP. Uh, <laughs> Mark and Jay defeated the Von Erichs, Ross and Marshall Von Erich. Jennifer Razzo and Rachel Elling were unsuccessful in challenging Knockouts champion Jordan Grace in a three-way match for the Knockouts title. But the main event, even though he claims it's his final last ever, he's definitely not going to have another one. Ric Flair still didn't go out on his back in his final ever match. <laughs> and he and Andrade El defeated Jilly Lethal <laughs> and Jarrett. And, you know, I haven't got that bit yet, but some of the matches got a fair amount of time, uh, which was good. I just checked here. This match, Ric Flair and Andrade VJ and Jeff, 27 minutes. Yeah, I also watched this match and listen, fair play to every single person in that match for carrying their grander. Well done to well done to the Andrade and his pals for taking Ric Flair on the stag and carrying him through the night. You know, well done. Um, that, that's the, it was, oh, take your feather more on the stag do sort of energy. Um, and yeah, it was not a good idea. Jeff Jarrett, to his credit, healing it up, try to fight with Undertaker and Foley in the crowd, try to fight with Conrad Thompson, try to fight with everyone that looked the wrong way to him. Um, his intro, uh, Jay Lethal had, uh, he is the only man in this building, because there was a, a, a list of Ric Flair's great opponents in the ring, uh, in the building, sorry. He is the only man in this building to submit uh, Ric Flair at a pay-per-view event, and you're like, holy shit, he's right, he was. Um, so he healed it up. Andrade, he is sensational. I hope he ends up back in WWE, uh, something we'll talk about later on. But Rick, um, he he puts the blame of this on Conrad Thompson, saying, I was never going to have it, but Conrad put the idea to me, and I thought, yeah, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. No, no, Rick, no, it's not. Shame on Conrad for exploiting his his very old, very, very frail, could barely walk, um, could barely walk father-in-law. And also, what a contrast in body types. Conrad and Andrade. I know. No no point for guessing which one of his daughters, his significant others, he likes better. <laughs> um, but yeah, he. Um, you you haven't seen the match. I have. Uh, all I know the other seen three. Pictures, seen pictures of that, and I saw that he bladed for fuck's sake. I know. We all knew he would. And he, sorry, on you go. He wrestled in a t-shirt as well. Like this had big facts of what Randy the Ram all about. It. Like the only thing that was missing was for Ric Flair to ignore everybody's wishes, go to the top rope. And as he came yeah. off, it's a cut to black. Yeah. Um, don't worry. It wasn't just any T-shirt he was wearing. It was a purple T-shirt that said Nature Boy on the back of it. Um, but yeah, he had the big gold belt. I wanted to see him with the gold belt over the robe. I thought that was quite cool. But he, 
he kind of just went, oh, I've got the big gold belt, and then gave it to a handler, and that was it. <laughs> like, uh, and you say he didn't go out on his back. Um, for those who haven't seen the finish, I have. He did go out on his back. He locked in the figure four. He <laughs> almost comatosed, fell to the floor, as did Jeff Jarrett. Both men's shoulders were down, but only Jeff was counted because the script says Ric Flair has to win. Um, I think it came out that Flair claims at one point he passed out. Yeah, he was. He was. That was not a good idea. Like, <laughs> I'll sum it up with the the Facebook status that um, rest, uh, Power Slam magazine editor Finley Martin put up. He just put up simply, just watched Ric Flair's last match. That was not a good idea. No, no, it was not. And shame on you, Conrad Thompson, for putting your, your father-in-law in, uh, like, trying to sell Starcast with this shit. And supposedly he tried to get Booker T interested in doing a similar show at Starcast, like, around Harlem Heat's final match. And Booker T said, like, yeah, I only make occasional appearances, but I don't want to put that definitive underline on my career just yet. Well, somewhere, David Ray figuring, finding out he's going to miss out on a much-needed payday had a single tear rolled in his cheek. Well, Stevie Ray, um, he runs the reality wrestling school, you know, him and Booker co-run it, but he's sort of the head honcho while Booker's on the road with WWE. So he's doing all right, but he has has came out and said about he wants wants one last match. So... (laughs) I mean, maybe we can bill it as the, the last time Harlem Heat will team, you know what I mean? Yeah, because it wouldn't be like their family, it would be their last match as a team, because you have to put that disclaimer on it, because selling a show around Stevie Ray's last match won't get you any buy to see the final stand of the former leader of NWOB team. <laughs> um, All on a subject, was, if they did run a show like that, oh, the final time Harlem Heat, you know, who would you want to see Harlem Heat face just Fantasy, but can just throw it out there because God knows it'll be a damn better than the Flair match. Uh, FTR. Oh, that was going to be a man. Then were the Briscoe. They would have been my guess. Ironically enough, sorry, there's a tab here. I'm just opening. Stevie Ray stokes the flames for possible possible Harlem Heat last match. Um, just when Booker T tries to cool down the heat, his brother Stevie Ray fans the flames. Uh, just this week on his Hall of Fame podcast, Booker said, "Well, his in-ring career isn't as over. He has no plans to make a flair-style production of his final match. Uh, he rest- he wrestled in his own uh, reality of wrestling and the colours inspired by Harlem Heat. Uh, the team formed by Booker and Ray. Booker commented on the idea of Harlem Heat reuniting to face FTR. There we are, suggesting the main obstacle was." Uh, Stevie Ray's years-long absence from the ring. Yesterday, however, Stevie Ray popped up on social media with a video showing him lifting in the weight room with a caption, I think I have one more match left in me. Not only that, but Ric Flair's last match promoter, Comrade Thompson, quoted the tweet with a thinking emoji. So, Is this going to be Starcast from now on, just trying to get anybody who's willing to put on one last match to sell the show? Well, um, I'm just looking here. Um, uh, Booker T obviously declined the match. Uh, 
Stevie Ray last wrestled in August 12, 2017, when he tagged with Abel Andrew Jackson against Ryan Davidson and Ernest Miller at the Reality of Wrestling Summer of Champions 4. He last tied with his brother on February 21st, 2015, where they lost the Reality of Wrestling tag titles against Desirable Dustin and Gigolo Justin. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, yeah. But yeah, it, um, say what you will about Ric Flair, you know, divided opinions, but it had a lot of, um, lot of press. Um, Impact did a lot to promote it. Um, Jay Lethal did a lot to promote it. Jim Cornette, eh, Jim Cornette. Jeff Jarrett did a lot to promote it. But um, it's been labelled a big success. The show received between 20,000 to 25,000 uh, pay-per-view streaming buys and 4,200 purchases through cable TV without any kind of promotion through television. Uh, the Wrestling Observer even described it as the second biggest independent pro wrestling show in the US of modern times with the top spot belonging to All In. Um, uh, circling back to Ric Flair's match, it reported that 6,800 fans, although not a sellout, attended the event at the Nashville Municipal Auditorium and grew a gate receipt of nearly half a million dollars, $448,502. Uh, the second biggest indigate uh, in America, but by only by only 10 grand. It only did 10 grand less uh, than, would you call it, than Star, uh, than All In. All, oh, yeah, All In. I was about to say All Out. Um, but All In's tickets were apparently... Um, significantly less expensive than this one. Um, but yeah, it was it was the second biggest independent wrestling show of the modern era in the United States. Uh, and going just by that, it looks like it may, it probably made about a million dollars all in, and. Nearly a hundred thousand people watched it. Oh, there you go. Uh, it's a random wee thing. Also, there was all these people in the crowd, like Mick Foley, Undertaker, and all that. They did like several shots of Mick Foley and crew. They did one shot where they were all Vicky Guerrero, Al Snow, and former Santino in the front row. And then at one point, when Flair is by the rings, they are talking to uh, Taker and Foley. It was just a wee thing of Bret Hart's head just popping into frame, like. I'm sorry, you had to make sure you, that we knew that Al Snow was in the front row. But then it's like, oh, by the way, Bret Hart's also here. Maybe maybe Bret Hart didn't want to be on screen. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> oh, sorry, I forgot to mention, sorry, the finish, when I mentioned the finish, I forgot about this. Jarrett, who didn't use a guitar, probably said he didn't want to, um, you know, because he was doing this the next night. Flair ducked uh, when Jetty, when Andrade pulled him out of the way. He fell to the floor like a bag of tatties. Uh, Jay Lethal got hit in the head. Then Conrad Thompson threw Andrade the brass knucks. Andrade had to basically put them on Ric Flair's hand before Ric Flair punched Jarrett, knocked him out, put the figure four in, and both their shoulders were on the mats. But as I said, only... Jarrett was counted. 
Do you know those apparently? I've not listened to it, but supposedly now when they did that angle with Janet and Weasel beating Flair from the car park to set up this tag match, the next episode of Janet's podcast, My World, that he does with Conrad, he played it off as if it was a shoot, as if he, he and Weasel actually beat him up and he had Conrad killed him. Sure, how could you do that to Rick Flair and everything? Like, lads, your whole purpose of your shoot these shows like these ones that Conrad does is to look behind the scenes and yet you want us now to believe in kayfabe. <laughs> I know it's it's look it's happened it's over now it was a commercial success um, a lot of people agree that the show itself was great but maybe we shouldn't have 73 year old wrestling like maybe yeah. maybe the Rock and Roll Express will do a last match next year I actually think they've already kind of done one I think like Robert Gibson the reason that Ricky Morton's tagging me since because Robert Gibson said, like, I don't want to do this anymore, but clearly Morton is still a big fan of money, so, you know, he gets his son in the business and still gets some money for himself. <laughs> but moving on from, from Flair to company we mentioned was involved in the Flair's last match, Impact Wrestling. Uh, next weekend, they've got their big emergence, uh, Impact Plus special on Friday the 12th of August. But they've already announced the next show on the 23rd of September, Victory Road. is coming. I think that used to be the, the show right before lockdown. They, when they say, oh, they're on the road to lockdown. And I think they're going to be using that same metaphor but now for the road to bound for glory. And you and I were speculating before we recorded that this would be where they start getting all the number one contenders for bound for glory set up, which bound for glory itself, I should mention that we're, we're scheduled for Saturday, August, October 8th and Danbury, Connecticut but has recently been moved to the 7th of October to make it a Friday. And it's going to be happening in Albany, New York. I think because the 8th of October, maybe the same day as Extreme Rules and Impact don't want to do a show the same day as they're doing a pay-per-view. And so they asked, oh, we want to do it Friday. And apparently the building, they wanted to do it. And Connecticut said, oh, yeah, but we're not. it's not available Friday. So basically they had to move to a whole different city to do Bound for Glory. I think New York's a better market for them anyway but it also means it's on a Friday I know they've been doing the specials on Friday but this will make it the first time actual pay-per-view for Impact Wrestling has been on a Friday I welcome that I I like pay-per-views on Friday Saturday mornings uh, Friday Saturday evenings you know what I mean because especially Friday because it doesn't mean you waste all your you know all your Sunday and then all your back to work on Monday no you've got two days to get yourself back in a back to normal you know what I mean so yeah, I, I quite like pay-per-views being on a Friday, but and yeah, I think at Victory Road it's going to be they don't do the Bound for Glory series anymore, mm-hmm. but I think this is when you'll reveal they, they've been doing the Option C thing, well they did do it last year, <clears throat> I don't know if they'll do it this year with Mike Bailey as champion but I, th- I certainly think you'll have you'll have at least a male and a female world title match lined up by the end of the night of this show. I think there was one match on the Origins card I think could lead to a set-up through Victory Road to determine the number one contender for Burn for Glory, but I like you said, I like the idea because you can do the Friday uh, Burn for Glory, Saturday, then rest the Saturday, watch Extreme Rules on the Saturday, then you have all Sunday to you know rest up, get back to normal and everything. And plus, with these Friday shows for Impact, given that your main show is on a Thursday, even though they're tape advance, the go home show you can do a big angle for a certain matches and then big up, you know, and give it that 
oh, now they've only got 24 hours to recover from this. How are they going to feel when they get to Emergence or Bound for Glory? Uh, I'll just <laughs> briefly mention uh, Emergence the next Saturday. The card for Emergence so far is it looking like yet another strong one from Impact Wrestling, where I think there's a match on this week's Impact on the next. There's a match on the next Impact between Rocky Romero and Mike Bailey for the X Division title. But the winner of that will go on to Emergence to face Jack Evans, who was meant to be at Slammiversary as part of the Ultimate X match, but unfortunately couldn't do it due to injury, so he's getting a shot here. Uh, Kushida and Chris Sabin are teaming up to fight Diener and Joe Doring of Violent by Design. Sammy Callahan will take on Steve Macklin. This is the one where I think this feud could lead to an unofficial number one contender style thing with maybe Macklin winning to fight Josh Alexander at the pay-per-view, uh, Ben Fogori. you got Ace Austin, Chris Bay, Doc Gals, Carl Anderson and Hikileo of, of Bullet Club taking on Honor No More's Eddie Edwards, Matt Dave and Mike Bennett, PCO and Vincent. And if Honor No More lose, they must permanently disband. Uh, and if they and if Honor No More wins, then uh, then Taven and Bennett will receive their what they feel is their deserved shot at the Impact Tag Team titles. And a Triple A showcase match, Ray Horace will take on Bandido. Vexed, which is the team of Chelsea, Green and Diana Perazzo will take on Rosemary and Taya Valkyrie for the Nuggets tag titles. BEM will challenge John Grace for the Nuggets title. And Alex Shell will get his first ever singles world title shot against Josh Alexander. They even mentioned it during the Wolves versus Machine Guns match that out of the four, Alex Shelley was the only one who had never been a world champion. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, come on, let's do it. Let's, a Kofi Mania style run for Alex Shelley. <laughs> Uh, and then you can throw a one-off match for Victory before you determine like, the Ben Glory match. Uh, a one-off match for Victory Road, him versus Kushida, the Time Splitters Exploder. Look at uh, Machine Guns, Alex Shelley, Chris Saban, Kushida, triple threat for the world title. Book it, more. I wouldn't say no to that. Um, but yeah, um, I'm absolutely here for Friday pay-per-views. I'm absolutely loving them. You do. I definitely think this is... Uh, this is the end for Honor No More. PCO's going to fuck up for them somehow. Eddie's going to go off and do his own thing. And then Vince will stick up for PCO. And he'll, those two will feud with Taven and Ben, and that'll be the fallout of Honor No More. Well, um, before, we, um, before we move on to the next story, obviously, at time of recording, uh, SmackDown is in three hours. Um, WWE have just announced that Nakamura will take on Ludwig Kaiser and if he wins he will earn an Intercontinental Championship opportunity against Gunther. I would imagine that would take place at Clash at the Castle. Uh, And a gauntlet match to determine who challenges Liv Morgan at WWE's Clash at the Castle. Uh, Raquel, Shayna Baszler, uh, Sonya Deville, Shotzi Blackheart, Aaliyah, Natalia and Zaya Lee. Um, So yeah, a, a seven women gauntlet match Winner goes to Clash at the Castle to face Liv Morgan. If Triple H has as much sway as we hope he does, I can see either, either Raquel or Shayna winning that. Oh, I would love Shayna to win and then just ragdoll Liv Morgan in like 30 seconds. I want NXT Shayna back. I'd love it if she somehow managed to be on the same brand as this like Bailey faction. Of, like She's got a belt they come after and there's a sign where she looks at Dakota Kai like, what are you going to do? You spent years being scared of me and then she just smacks you in the face and, and uh, this controlled shit out of him. <laughs> Why not? 
I'm not fucking scared of you anymore. I've got my mates with me. I'm not scared. I'll be back up. Fucking got my head. Impact, WWE, they're not the only ones with big shows coming up because on August 27th and 28th, we've got NWA 74. Uh, yeah, I've got a card here if you want to see it. I've also got a card here. Oh, well, okay, well, I'll do it anyway since I went to the trouble of Googling it. Uh, <laughs> so, two nights, uh, as we mentioned there, Billy Ray versus Mike Knox in a table match. Uh, Samantha Starr with Baby Doll taking on Tootie Lynn, Killing King, and to be announced, it's the Burke Invitational Gauntlet match for the NWA Women's Championship. Homicide taking on Kerry Morton for the. Uh, the it says your foreign NWA Women's World Title match. Oh, for, foreign. I do apologise. Uh, Homicide versus Kerry Morton, singles match for the NWA Junior Heavyweight Championship. Camille versus Taya Valkyrie, which is actually for the NWA Women's Championship. Uh, Jack, Jack Stain versus Sion with Austin Idol, a singles match for the NWA National Heavyweight Championship. And Matt Cardona announcing his return to the ring, his first match back from injury. He is going to take on a hand-picked opponent. Uh, I imagine this will be a joke match. Cardona will win instantly and then someone will attack him. Uh, night two, uh, Trevor Murdoch versus Tyrus, a singles match for the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. Uh, yet, yet to be announced, uh, participants will take place in a tag team battle royal for the vacant NWA United States Tag Team Championships. And then the winner of the Burke Invitational Gauntlet taking on either Camille or Taya Valkyrie on night two for the Women's World Championship. Uh, Pretty Empowered, Ella Envy and Kenzie Page taking on Hex, Alison Kay and Marty Bell. And a, I thought I said Kingsway there. I'm like, what, Kingsway flat? <laughs> <laughs> a Kings Highway street fight for the NWA Women's World Tag Team Championships. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. No, no, six. Six titles NWA have, and three of them are tag titles. And they've also been remembering that they're going to introduce, oh, we're talking about bringing back the women, NWA women's TV to, like, for a company that's not even got a TV deal, you've got still got far too many belts. Looking, you're, you're almost worse than AEW at this point. <laughs> well, they've got the junior heavyweight, the national heavyweight, the world heavyweight, the United States one, which is not on the line as of yet. Uh, TV. Not on the line right now. TV title, NWA United States tag title, NWA tag title. I believe there's a junior tag title. Am I wrong? No, there's not a junior tag title. I wouldn't be surprised no. if they did. But there's a women's world championship. Um, that's eight titles. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, some big names on that show, some upcoming talent, and some possibly underutilized talent. Uh, you know, Trevor Murdoch's been on quite a run recently. Um, I think it was maybe him versus like Nick Aldis uh, at this show in the No We Need a Replacement. I think they had some sort of match on NWA Power to turn on contender. But Tyrus, for fuck's sake, I think Tyrus might be the TV champion. That's why it's not annoying. 
Tyrus replaced Nick Aldis due to unconfirmed reasons, says um, Wikipedia. Uh, but no, I'd like to see the. Uh, the he is, he's the current world television champion. You know, I like to be, see be the opponent for Buddy Cardona because they're doing this angle at GCW which involves this person where it's like Chelsea Green and Matt Cardona are going to renew their wedding vows at the next GCW show. And apparently, it's been officiated by Maven. So <laughs> I want Maven to be the opponent and Matt Cardona just squashes him, just like, ah, here's my hand picked opponent. Da, na, 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 na. <laughs> How old do you think Trevor Murdoch is? How old do you think he is? Uh-huh. Oh, it doesn't look a day over 45. He's 41. Huh. I wasn't as far off as I thought I'd be. No, he's only 41. He's looked 41 since he was 21. Do you know how old uh, Tyrus is, the former uh, <laughs> the former Brotus Clay? Is he close to 40? He's 49 years old. Fuck me. Now he's 49. He's... They age better on Planet Funk, do you not know that? <laughs> you know he's been wrestling since 2006. And has surprisingly developed very little since then. <laughs> oh. It's amazing how some wrestlers, me, who... Is not an expert about wrestling at all. Uh, can wrestle for so long yet not get any better. Yeah, it is uh, worrying at times. Um, <laughs> Very much is. I'm just, I'm just looking at some of the people on this card just to see how old they are. Just Billy Ray, 51, we knew that. Uh, how old Matt Cardona? Matt Cardona's 37. He looks remarkable. Like, I think Ian Hawkins were like 21, 22 when they got signed. They got signed very young. Yeah. But yeah, that's uh, that's the card for the NWA uh, 74th anniversary. Matt Cardona, the big draw, I think, uh, online. Uh, unless you're like Callum who likes that sort of stuff. We'll move on to our second last story where triple, about Triple H. We've talked about him a lot on this show. We're talking about the work because supposedly he is you know, clamping down some verbiage that was banned under Vince McMahon, which includes the word wrestler and wrestling, which shouldn't be big news for a wrestling company. But, you know, maybe this will also see words like premium live event go back to be reviewed, even though technically that's not even the worst one because you technically don't even pay for WWE shows anymore. You get the fucking network or Peacock for them. But, you know, will this be the last time we hear of local medical facilities and the like? No, local medical facility will remain because that was that was because hospitals complained WWE fans would phone looking for superstars. That Bret Hart, okay, like Bret Hart's not here. <laughs> yeah, but as Glenn said, like definitely, will it will be like a different like feel when it comes to promos and like commentary. I think we've already discussed that uh, so far. You know, even a week or so ago on SmackDown, you had Xavier Woods randomly dropping references to the Viking Raiders being in like New Japan and Ring of Honor and being tag champs over there. So, you know, it's definitely you know an interesting time to be watching WWE. Yeah, absolutely. Um, obviously, a lot of changes, but we'll wait to see things like SmackDown tonight. But 
Speaking of SmackDown tonight, um, there's more and more rumours and more and more signs that Sasha Banks is going to be on SmackDown tonight. Uh, earlier this week, Sasha was advertised under a real name to participate in a Team Donald versus Team Ramsey celebrity flag football match uh, for the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, however, they released an updated roster for the, ga- uh, for the game and Banks' name is no longer listed on either team. Uh, so I'm just checking here. Uh, the Rams' official website still lists Banks as a member of Team Donald. Uh, but the roster change immediately led to speculation on social media about Banks possibly appearing on Friday's SmackDown in Greenville, South Carolina. Yeah, and there's not much more than that. But yeah, it looks like um, it looks like she could be back. This it'd be good to see her back in SmackDown. And they've announced a gauntlet match. Could we see a surprise entrant in the gauntlet match? Wouldn't be surprised. You know, don't want to say too much whether or not. <laughs> She will, I'm not sure, because I do not want to immediately date this when it comes out tomorrow after SmackDown. Yeah, um, you know, I'll nail my colours to the mast. I'll say yes, she's coming back tonight. I'll look the fool. Well, wouldn't be much of a change. But what <laughs> about pretty much every company in wrestling so far? Let's move over to AEW briefly. You know, only a few weeks out from All Out. It'll be interesting to see what the main event of that show is because you know, the hope was that Punk would be available or fit enough to come back, but reports are saying that is looking very like optimistic at best about him being fit enough to come back for that show and that realistically, if he's going to wrestle again soon, it might be at, at full gear in November. But we'll see who's going to fight John Moxley. John Moxley to defend the title next week against Chris Jericho. And you know, Jericho put his title shot against Moxley on the line against Wheeler on Dynamite this week. He retained that without bringing back the Lion Tamer because John Moxley said he didn't want to see sports entertainer Jericho. He wanted to see, you know, old Lionheart Jericho. He wants to oh Jericho. Like Vince McMahon wanted the old Stone Cold back in 2001. It's going um, to hurt the... Do you think they're getting it in now, now that the verbiage is starting to change in WWE? Like, let's use that sports entertainer line as much as possible. Possibly. Possibly. Uh, I like the... I'm happier to see Jericho referring to, oh, I'm not Jericho, I'm Lionheart Jericho, rather than, oh, no, I'm the pain maker, I'm someone completely different. No, you're not. You look like a guy in his 40s who just listened to My Chemical Romance for the first time. <laughs> but also, we've got the feels, sales, and given this, I find Angle set it up and the potential final, I've seen a lot of figures and people thinking, could AEW choose to put this on last at all out? Where uh, Bucks didn't want to team with Bobby Fish as part of the EOS tournament because apparently Cole and O'Reilly are not yet medically cleared right now. And so basically, well, like, Guys, if you don't want to team with Bobby Fish, then you can't be in the tournament. And they looked at I'm going like, what were you talking about? He goes, oh, nice. So let me let me rephrase that. You guys won't be physically able to compete. And then just as he says that, Bobby Fish takes by Nick Jackson, puts him in a fucking chokehold, which I thought was a really cool angle. Mate showed Cole and Red Dragon look a bit more vicious. And then obviously a big reaction for Hangman coming out with the pipe to to save the box and the kind of just the the long glance of oh. I open my heart to you once. I don't want to be hurt again. <laughs> very days of our lives. It is very days of our lives. And I think it is 
much like we talked about the women's tag titles earlier, this uh, very much flag uh, sort of telegraphs the winner uh, or the finalists in this thing. Uh, and I think that also lets you know that Kenny Omega is not fit either because I thought it was going to be Kenny Omega. That was, you know, his big comeback, the trio's title. But no, it looks like uh, the elite are back together, the Undisputed Era, even though they won't be called that, are back together. And yeah, it looks like they they will be on opposite sides of the bracket and just run through everyone before we get the inevitable final that we all want. Yeah, still be a good. There's still some strong trios left in AEW as long as the House of Black and Death Triangle kept on opposite ends because that's a feud I don't want to see ever again. Uh, <laughs> just just keep. I'm sad that Team Taz was officially announced as being broken up. Taz made it official. And Hobbs has already attacked Starks because I would love to see what it would have been like if like you had Hobbs, Hook, and Starks as a trio in this tournament. Maybe maybe Danhausen, Billy Gunn, and <laughs> uh, Hook can team up. Why not? You know, oh, we did have a, that match on this week. Then we had the the Clean defeating the Ass Boys and a dumpster match on Day <laughs> and. They, they referenced the whole thing. Oh, they, we've got Billy Gunn here. This man knows about dumpster matches. But they claimed eventually they did get the win. And then at the end, they had insult injury. They pushed the dumpster off the stage. <laughs> but it also, I should mention they set up. They only had one match confirmed, but they set two more up for. Because uh, tonight, when they take Rampage, they're also taping a show for Saturday. Battle of the Belts 3, it's back. The match that was already confirmed would be Claudio Castagnoli defending his Ring of Honor tick. Is Ring of Honor World title against Kanosuke Takeshita. But now after last night's time, after a win in a tag match, Jimmy Hater will now challenge Thunder Rosa for the women's title. I believe it will be just a set-up for a, a, a third and you know, final blow-off match between her and Britt Baker, potentially all out, before Tony Storm probably turns on Thunder after it. And after saving uh, Orange Cassidy from a Jay Lee, so and Sonja Duck beatdown, Jay Lee, so is going to challenge Wardlow for the TNT title at Battle of Belts as well. There we are. Well, final story of the night. Um, as you know, you mentioned Wardlow there, someone who recently turned down a match with Wardlow and could be back in WWE soon is Killer slash Carrion Cross. He is Cross. He is Carrion Cross. <laughs> <laughs> um, just reading the statement here, Killer Cross could be heading back to WWE if what Fightful has heard ends up being true. Fightful Select has learned that the former NXT champion has been discussed as a name of interest for WWE to bring back to the company. Several within the industry outright expect him to return, and one source indicated they believed it was already in the company's plans, though we've yet to confirm that whatsoever. We were to confirm that he's been at least it's a name at least been discussed on WWE's end. Cross was booked for a Ring of Honor appearance at Supercard of Honor before the company regime change and was contacted for an AEW booking that he passed on against Wardlow. He probably would have just been squashed, sort of like Big Cass. Uh, Cross has worked with Major League Wrestling in New Japan since his 2021 WWE release date. Uh, and yeah, Carrying Cross is someone who divided opinion. He was this monster in NXT and it, it sort of felt like the end of the black and gold brand. He didn't really fit the he didn't really fit that NXT style, did he? He, he looked a lot more 
like a WWE main roster guy, which is ironic because as soon as he went up to the main roster, he was horrendously booked. No. It was a bit like he was being set up as a killer so that he could go to the main roster a killer. And then they just somehow didn't know what to do with him. They tried multiple times to you know, try new things with him. But I'll be honest with you, even before he got the whole shitty looking mask, I was kind of done with Karrion Cross. Because he wins the XT title back from Finn Balor, what was a fairly uninteresting match. I thought that takeover. Then he had the five, which basically sent around, we'll have a good match when Karrion's been taken out. And everybody just took every opportunity to shit on him. And then he went to the main roster and got to shit on some more. And then like the stuff he's done since he, he's been doing these vignettes with some of the worst, you know, studio video editing, you know, student video editing I've ever seen. He looks weird now that he's got hair. I think he's done some stuff with fucking control your narrative and everything like that. So immediately there's no interest there. And then he, I didn't see it, but I think he had a match. With, I think it was like Suzuki, a New Japan show in the US. I didn't see it, but then I asked Grabber. He went, mate, it was fucking awful. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so, Killer Cross or Carrying Cross is not someone you have any interest in seeing back in WWE? No. No. Um, I, I like the, the presentation of him, but I wouldn't mind him seeing him as a heater for someone or, you know, having some squash matches and a run with a mid-card title, but I just I don't see him becoming that guy on the would you call it on the main roster that uh, main event star personally. It's like he's somebody who his reputation. I think he's a lot like Goldberg. His reputation, his presentation relies on being a killer. And when you put someone like that in the main event scene, he has to maintain remain a killer. But then you may need to sacrifice a few people in your main event scene in order to keep him that way. And then when you yeah. take him out of the event scene and take the title off him. How do you maintain that killer image once the killer's been beaten? Yeah, uh, it's a that is a really tricky one. Yeah, there are some other people I would like to see, you know, back, you know, if contracts from that because there are some people in AEW who people think might come back, but again, a lot of them are locked down and they sign like three to five year deals, like something well, last year. Yeah, that's just just obviously a quick point, and then we can obviously sign off. Um, Tony Khan was asked on Busted Open Radio about um, about talent going back, and he's like, ah, uh, "Yeah, don't think so. You think one change means people like? Well, yeah, because it was the biggest. This isn't impact. With due respect to impact, I, I like impact changing management. This wasn't Ring of Honor now under new management. This was WWE. This was Vince McMahon's company under new management. That's why it's such a big deal." And why things are going to change. And if you don't, the reason people are talking about things going to change is because we saw how much it changed in NXT under mm-hmm. Triple H's leadership. So, yeah, I I think you might see, well, you know, people still haven't seen MJF. The rumour is, you know, Warner Brothers and AEW have asked to have MJF removed from all promo packages and all advertising packages for AEW. No one's been able to get a hold of him. No one in AEW knows anything about him. Uh, and, yeah, it just looks like MGF might be the first one post-Cody Rhodes to jump ship back to AEW, uh, back to WWE. Yeah, 
Very interesting. I think there are a lot of people who, when Cody left, they said they were talking about stuff that Cody kind of left on the table and didn't do before he left. And one that kept coming out was a rematch with MJF. So I didn't know if that was ever really needed that much. I think MJF needed to win and, and be put over by Cody. They didn't like the idea of Cody coming back and just beating him again. Because, you know, MJF seemed destined to be AEW champion at some point. But, you know, a WWE wanted to take the opportunity and, you know, restart that feud of MJF comes over when Co- and Cody's healthy, like restart that feud and hint towards their history. Then I wouldn't mind seeing that because if MJF comes over to WWE, he's going to get, you know, Dakota Karen's pushed to the moon. <laughs> so, like, we're kind of out for former WWE guys who aren't signed to any place that could, I could easily see coming in. Because there were the reports, you know, which is why people were calling on it and why Tony Camfield needed to come in it. But people saying who, oh, I might have stayed or I maybe I would have resigned if I didn't know this was like that when I left. But you talked to him, like, he left Impact recently. I don't think he signed anywhere else. Like, W. Morrissey going back to WWE now under New Imagine, getting to, like, well, not treat you like big guys. Like, let's treat you like W. Morrissey. Let's be that guy. Doesn't have to talk all the time. Let him. Do he's talking in the ring like he used to do an impact? Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I would even call him big guy. Like he was here before, but don't call him big guy. Let him be W. Morrissey. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, yeah, because big cast on its own on the main roster didn't work, but we saw how well it worked in impact wrestling. So, yeah, uh, but I think we better wrap it up because we're, we're heading into fantasy booking territory here. Yeah. Well, thank you everybody for listening. As your assistant host, I've enjoyed it. To the host. Yeah, 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 yeah. Semantics. But I am thankful that I get to step into this hosting position this week and a big week in wrestling. I'm glad that Ross was able to make the time to join me and be assistant to be assistant host. You're a despicable human being. You're not coming back on this show. Ah, uh, you don't mean that. Anyway, thank you for listening. Please check out past episodes of Central and all of our other shows, like feature shows, Saturday Live, ECBS, our back catalog, and all due to Android podcasting sites. Remember to keep up with us and all the latest goings on in the SSR and the world of wrestling on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Suplex Retreat and the Suplex Retreat community page on Facebook. Thank you, everybody, for listening. I'll be back when Ross needs me because he won't admit it, but inevitably. You will need me. You will need me. Thank you, Ross, for taking the time to be here. We hope to have you back on soon. Get off my show. Ah, I love you too. Bye, everyone. <laughs>